For this year's general election, registered voters need to watch for their ballots arriving by mail in mid-October. Following the instructions, seal your ballot in the envelope provided and be sure to sign the back. Envelopes without your signature will not be accepted. Look for your free elections guide in the newspaper or at locations statewide. There are no polling places, so be sure to mail your ballot by October 27. Hawaii, Hawaii votes by mail. Well, aloha, Hawaii. It is October 28th, Wednesday here. This is Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors, the Office of Election. Uh, with the election's less than a week away now. And for those of you who did not yet mail in your ballot that you received in the mail, uh, yesterday was actually the recommended deadline. So we encourage you to actually visit one of the voting centers or the Dropbox if you still have your ballots and make sure you uh, get it in that way as uh, to really make sure that your voice is counted in this upcoming election, which again is next week, Tuesday. But again, we want to thank the Office of Election for their sponsorship of this program and allowing us to have this conversation. Uh, Yenji, we have a first time guest joining us this morning and something I think a lot of people are interested in hearing and learning more about. That's right. You know, we've had this program in some iterations since the first lockdown back in March, uh, but we've never had the pleasure of speaking with HPD. So we have invited HPD and they're joining us today. Deputy Chief John McCarthy is with us this morning and he's going to be talking to us about enforcement. We know a lot of you have questions about what is and isn't allowed. What happens if you get cited? Uh, if your neighbor's having a party, who do you call? What should you do? So we want to talk about all of it. And there's a lot of confusions just about the rules. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, first off, let's start with that enforcement and uh, talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing and what is the most common uh, thing that people are being cited for when it comes to coronavirus violations. Yes, well, thank you for having us on. So chance to explain and hopefully solve some of the confusion. But yes, since the beginning of the um, pandemic, we've been charged with, we're the main uh, force charged with enforcing COVID rules and regulations. Uh, remember, this is a whole new ball game to all of us. It's it's new, the pandemic is new to everybody. Uh, it's new to us as an enforcement tool, and uh, we had to learn as we went along. Um, I think up to date, we're somewhere around issuing sixty thousand violations. That's not necessarily citations, but violations. So a person may be given a citation for multiple violations, uh, whether it be being uh, non-essential uh, travel and not wearing a face mask or uh, being in a park enclosure and not having a face mask, not social distancing. So you can get multiple violations in one citation. Um, early on, we, we we went with an enforcement angle to try and keep the numbers low. Uh, we've since pulled back and the philosophy has been more to warn people. The numbers have come down, uh, but and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little while, uh, is we're concerned about large gatherings again. Our biggest violations, our biggest source of complaints has been uh, social distancing, the mask, uh, wearing of mask, and uh, large gatherings. Large gatherings, more recently in the last week or two, has been the big one. And so how do you control and help to regulate that? Uh, when a report comes in of a large gathering, uh, if one of your officers on duty see uh, a large gathering of sort, what is sort of the process? Uh, is is that something where you're going into homes and telling people they have to break the part? I mean, what, what are you guys uh, allowed to do and how are you managing that? Well, all the, all the rules of criminal procedure and investigation still apply. People still have their rights. We're not taking away their rights. 
The law is not unconstitutional. We're still upholding all of that. Uh, what we do is basically uh, we've been sort of reactive in some positions and uh, proactive in others. Uh, when the beep officers, the patrol officers are out there, if they see violations, they can stop and take action at any time. We've set up a COVID hotline uh, that deals directly where officers are answering the phone, screening those calls, and then directing either the COVID officers. We have COVID teams in each of our eight districts uh, on duty. They can direct these officers so that we're not interfering with any kind of patrol function. Um, remember, on top of all this, we still have to be out there to keep public safety, law and order, traffic. Uh, and then we took on this added uh, responsibility with the COVID enforcement. So you've got the COVID teams that may respond uh, once they get that uh, complaint, or you may get officers, or even the COVID team is out there to proactively uh, enforce the laws. We have, we really want to gain the public's uh, compliance. We want people to comply. We want to get out of this thing. The, the sooner we comply, the lower those cases become and manageable they become, the faster we'll get out of this. So we've, our officers have the discretion of warning a person, uh, citing them, or if need be, arresting them in some cases. And it, that's the officer's discretion based on the severity of the situation itself. But also if this person is a repeat offender, hasn't learned from the warning, hasn't learned from a citation, they may get arrested and have to post bail. Wow. Well, 60,000 is quite a few citations. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the penalties that are associated with those violations? If I'm caught at a, you know, let's say a potluck at, you know, at somebody's house and I'm not wearing a mask, what, what are the penalties associated with that if I do get cited? Actually, it's only one penalty, no matter what you're cited for. It's a mister, full misdemeanor. So it's subject to up to a $5,000 fine or and or a year in jail. But one of the things people don't realize, it's a criminal citation. It's in lieu of an arrest. The citation you get is equivalent to that arrest. So if you're convicted, you actually have a criminal record. You know, one of the things that... Uh a lot of people are asking about, and it's sort of making headlines, I guess, this week is mask wearing and what is allowed and what is not allowed. The Lieutenant Governor on this program earlier this week called for a statewide mask mandate. And we know that the mayor is uh, someone, of course, that continues to strongly advocate for people to wear masks. What is sort of the ruling right now when it comes to mask wearing? What are people allowed to do? Uh, when are they supposed to be wearing the mask? And how are you folks enforcing that? Well, if you can't maintain social distance, you have to have a mask on. So if you're within six feet of somebody, you have to have a mask on. There's an exception to that if you're exercising, uh, if you have a uh, medical disorder. Um, I mean, if you're wearing an oxygen mask and carrying your little oxygen tank, you can't wear a mask. That's unreasonable to do that. If you live in the same household with people, uh, it, wearing a mask makes no sense because you live, eat, and sleep with them. Wearing a mask it's not going to help you at all. So the key is within six feet, you must main, have a mask on. Uh, on the beaches, uh, for example, if you're six feet apart, you don't need a mask. Um, the, the big thing we've had at some people, uh, when we ask them to put their mask on because they're not social distancing, you'll hear them yell at us that they have uh, asthma or they have a breathing disorder. Uh, but the, the rate and the tone they're yelling at, uh, they've got no medical disorder. So it's used as a crutch, but the officers have that discretion. You may get cited and uh, it would be upon you to prove in your defense that you have this uh, disability. 
But the key is that social distancing. You really got to social distance. Um, let's talk about you know a change in the last two weeks, and that is the opening of Trans-Pacific travel. Jeff has a question. What happens if tourists throw the citations away when they leave? Obviously, we want to welcome our visitors back. We need uh, you know we need that to strengthen our economy. But we do have a lot of people coming here from a lot of different places, and their rules may be different than ours. Um, so, how has the enforcement been when it comes to to visitors? And if they do get cited, you know, since this is a criminal offense, do they need to then fly back to Hawaii to deal with this issue? Okay, a couple of things. We, we don't make a distinguish uh, between a visitor or resident. If we look at it, if it's a violation, you get the warning, the citation or the arrest, whatever is appropriate. Um, so we're, we're not catering to one or the other. Nobody, nobody gets a break. We have to treat everybody equal, first of all. Um, second, if they do get a citation or they are arrested, yes, they've got to appear in court here. Recently, there was a case with the uh, uh, Surgeon General who was cited and he was allowed to appear via Zoom. The courts are working off of uh, Zoom appearances or even trials at this point. So do you have to be physically in the state? No, you just have to make an appearance by Zoom. And that's all done by the court. The court is making a notification on that. You know, of course, th coming up this week is weekend is Halloween, uh, a time of the year where of course, People get together and gather, uh, and of course, Waikiki is an area that a lot of people are known to gather as well. Uh, what are some of the steps that you folks are doing to prepare for what could potentially be uh, a, an evening where a lot of people are expected to have household gatherings, and, and what are you folks doing to prepare for this? Well, first of all, let's talk about Waikiki. We're trying to discourage people from going there. First of all, a lot of stores, a lot of businesses, uh, they're just not open. So Waikiki is still a ghost town. Most of the hotels aren't scheduled to open until after November 1st. So it's it's pretty dead. I've been going to Waikiki at least twice a day since the opening just to take a look at things. We don't want people there as much as possible because of a large gathering. This is one way to set back everything we've worked for to get into the tier that we're in now. If we, if we have these large gatherings and you get a super spreader event, I mean, take it, look at the Lanai recently where you had one person traveled, came back, and attended a gathering and uh, look at the amount of how fast the spread was and the number of people that were infected. Uh, we really can't afford something like that. We want the public to be safe and we don't want to, we don't want to set back what we've started. Uh, we we're preparing like we would for any Halloween. We have uh, personnel, extra personnel that will be on duty, uh, not only in Waikiki, but throughout the rest of the island. And uh, we're, we expect to be busy, especially with large gatherings and that sort of thing, which we intend to take action on no matter what. Um, going back to the visitor industry and, and also, you know, returning residents now that Trans-Pacific Travel has opened, of course, there are those individuals who choose not to do the pretest and they automatically have to do the 14-day quarantine. Um, you know, on Kauai, for instance, my understanding is that officers actually physically go to the home of the people in quarantine, primarily because they have so few people who have to do that. Uh, but here we have thousands of people who are in that 14-day quarantine. It seems unreasonable to expect that officers can visit the home. So how are you actually managing the quarantine enforcement right now? Right now, we've, we've taken a... Um, reactive approach to that. People call us and we'll go out and check on quarantine in that case. But we are looking at uh, starting up something soon where we will be proactively looking to make sure that people are um, properly quarantining so that they don't spread the disease. Uh, whether it's visitors, whether it's locals, we've yet to make that determination. You pointed out 
brought a very good point out where the numbers are too high for us. Uh, this, I think last time I checked, it was about 20,000 on Oahu that should have been in quarantine to some degree. We, we can't check and knock on everybody's doors or make those calls, but uh, we'll be able to somehow strategically or you know, work smart and not hard and try to check on these people and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, one way that you are doing that is just, as you said, uh, reactionary when people are reporting this and you get a tip of somebody breaking that. And we know uh, that the city had set up that uh, hotline. And here's the number here, uh, an email address that was set up in place. Uh, what are, how has that been going? Have you been seeing a large volume in the number of reports that are coming in from residents who are reporting others that are breaking this? And, and how do you sort of manage and go through uh, those re, you know, these these reports that are coming in to ensure that they are accurate and and how are you handling the volume? All of the calls uh, to the COVID call center are handled by police officers. They're answered there. The officers screen the call for an active uh, uh, incident, whether it's active or whether it, if it happened, there's not that much we can do. If it's active, they send an officer out, or uh, it might be an on-duty officer, or it might be someone who's dedicated to a COVID team in that area, a COVID enforcement team. And they'll go out and they'll take a look, they'll investigate uh, and, and do the proper thing. Um, whether it's the warning, the citation or arrest, that's their responsibility. We've seen that the call center, the calls have gone up and down depending on situations. Um, when beaches were closed, that was a big source of complaint. There's people on the beach, there's large, ga large gatherings on the beach, that sort of thing. Um, and that, that kind of put us at a disadvantage because our officers and with the uniforms we wear, we can't go trudging on a beach or around the corner. It's, it's really difficult. So uh, we adapted. We have beach patrols. Uh, they're still out there on the weekends for the most part. Uh, but just just looking for answering all of, all of these different calls. And they're, they're screened by, like I said, officers. And officers are sent to every valid complaint. What we do get is a lot of phone calls for information. Most recently on the travel, whether how, how it can be done. And that's something that's controlled by the state. Our officers aren't trained on that, nor do, can they give you know, definitive answers on uh, the three-day COVID testing and how travel works, the digital application. Can you talk a little bit about the trends you're seeing in other areas of enforcement? I know that in addition to all this coronavirus enforcement, of course, you have to attend to regular calls. Um, you know, we've had Nancy Creedman on here a number of times from the Domestic Violence Action Center who says that her agency has gotten a lot more calls for help. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of domestic violence and other kinds of crimes? What are the trends there? Well, believe it or not, we're tracking the crime on a weekly basis. And uh, when I say that, not only the weekly numbers here, but weekly numbers compared to a year ago, which would have been a so-called normal year. Um, all of crimes are down for the most part, uh, except for a, a couple. And um, when it comes, I know a, a domestic violence has gotten a lot of attention. Uh, remember now, these are calls are coming into us that we initiate criminal cases for. Uh, not taking anything away from the social service agents, the advocates, but uh, our calls for domestic violence cases are actually down from a year ago. Uh, not a whole lot, but they're down. And in most other cases, thefts, burglaries, those sort of things, uh, they're all down. You know, as a whole, when you look back at sort of this process and what the department has had to go through uh, since the start of this pandemic and the resources that have had to go into the department in order to keep up with just uh, the various orders. What has that sort of been like for 
uh, your officers? What are they experiencing uh, through this time? Because we know that there have been many changes uh, in the policies and different orders. Uh, how have they been responding to this, uh, knowing that you know there there is some pushback too from the community who say that this is too much enforcement? What what are you hearing from your officers? Well, the off uh, you got to give the officers a lot of credit. I mean, like I said earlier. The orders were very confusing for us. You had the governor issuing orders, the mayor issuing orders, the way the orders are written, they're not the easiest thing to read or uh, decipher. So they, you gotta give the officers credit. They've had to change their uh, mindset, their enforcement patterns with each uh, change of the orders. So it, you gotta give the officers a lot of credit. What are we hearing? We hear two sides. We're not citing enough or enforcing enough or we're enforcing too much and we're way over the top. We've been called brown shirts. Uh, in reference to World War II Germany, uh, we've been called a lot of names, but you know, wh where's that happy medium? The, the key is public safety. And that's what, again, I, gotta, I cannot stress enough that we wanna keep the public safe. We wanna get through this. We want compliance with the orders. The orders are based on founded practices for the most part. Uh, and we don't wanna make arrests. We don't wanna give citations if possible. It, in a perfect world, everybody listened and we got out of this problem really fast. Um, going back to some of our viewer questions, uh, Pony Moy says, what about large household gatherings on Halloween? So can you just definitively uh, clarify what is allowed and what isn't this weekend? It's the same thing. You can't gather in a group of more than five, period. Um, I mean, uh, if you have a household and 10 people live in your household, well, you can't help that. We don't expect to kick five out, but uh, you can invite people in and get a gathering that's larger than five people outside of your household. So. That's going to put a damper on a lot of people's Halloween parties. But again, we want to get through this. And it's it's the general safety of the community. We might have to sacrifice. I'd rather sacrifice Halloween and get a better Thanksgiving or holiday season than go into a surge and we're locked down again during Thanksgiving and Halloween. It's just not worth it. I want to get better, not worse. So uh, we're really asking the people out there, don't do it. Uh, keep the spread to zero, if at all possible. And you know we'll have to go out and enforce it as as it happens. But again, no no gatherings more than five. You know, another question that we often hear about are, are just businesses and what how they are complying with the orders because we know that that was a large part uh, of the mayor's uh, tier system is the restrictions that were placed in some of these businesses, the capacity that they could have people back in, some of them not being able to open. What role has HPD played in that, in ensuring that these businesses uh, are in fact, uh, you know, abiding by the mayor's orders? And have there been instances where you folks have had to step in, uh, in for those businesses that have violated these orders? Yes, we, you know, we've worked with other agencies, uh, Liquor Commission, uh, just to name one. We have gone out, we've inspected restaurants, uh, retail businesses. We've issued citations for them as being non-essential businesses. Um, We've taken enforcement action against them. So, I mean, they're, they're not exempt. Some businesses, I got to give them credit. They've gone way overboard to make sure that they're complying and trying to do the best they can um, and, and trying to stay open. Unfortunately, again, the bad businesses kind of hurt everybody. And we have had spreads from some of those businesses uh, with the pandemic. Um, this is another question about enforcement, and there's actually a couple of questions just about religious services. Suzanne says, will HPD be going into churches? What is the rule for religious gatherings? Um, and I mean, and that is just an awkward circumstance for an officer to have to enforce something uh, when it comes to someone's faith. 
right? Well, remember the COVID restrictions don't trump constitutional rights. And again, you got you you have that right, the freedom of religion. But again, a responsible uh, church would not bring a bunch of people together, especially a lot of uh, churchgoers. You got to say our elderly, the younger people just don't go, and and th they're more at risk. So. Uh, we're not going into churches. We're not shutting down uh, religious services anywhere. Um, but but we are really advising them to adhere to the rules as much as possible. When they do have services, we're asking that uh, they maintain social distancing and uh, are able to uh, comply with the rules and not you know cause the spread. You know what? Before the uh, this hotline that was sort of set up, uh, where people could call in for uh, complaints or or to report someone that might be breaking quarantine or of these large gatherings, uh, I'm, I'm wondering how that has impacted your 911 call volume. <laughs> Have people been uh, sort of confused between the two? When do they call 911? Have you seen an uptick in 911 calls because of people reporting these COVID violators, so to speak? No, actually, we're tracking the 911 calls as well. And uh, even our 911 calls are down from a year ago to date. We really haven't, for the police calls, we haven't seen any particular time when it's higher than it was a year ago. Um, so we're tracking that. People have called, but I think they're calling into the COVID hotline. Uh, like I said, it depends on the day of the week, the type of order violation. Weekends, of course, we're naturally more busy, but our, it hasn't. And, and the whole reason for setting up that COVID uh, call uh, center was to take some of the pressure off of 9-11 call centers. So it, it's working for us so far, but I think because the majority of the people are conforming to the uh, rules and not violating them, which is perfect. I mean, I got to give those people kudos. It's just the violators, again, that take up our time and resources. Speaking of time and resources, you know, before the pandemic, HPD had a shortage of officers. I'm interested to know, uh, you know, are you folks still recruiting? And, and also how, on uh, a sort of separate but related question, um, how have you been able to keep uh, COVID out of the ranks of your officers? You know, I'm sure you travel in cars together and, you know, and sometimes you have to work very closely. So uh, how is that going? How many officers have, have uh, contracted the coronavirus? And then separately, how is recruitment going? Um, okay, first of all, with the coronavirus, with our offices, I, again, kudos to the offices. They've been very good. Most of the uh, coronavirus cases that we've had with our officers have been contracted from family members and brought into the workplace. We haven't had a large spread in the workplace, and that's uh, just shy of a miracle because we have to work in such close quarters, like you say. Um, our offices are all equipped. They have uh, PPE in the form of... Uh, uh, gl gloves, they have uh, shields, they have goggles, they have face masks, uh, they even have gowns. We have teams that it, we've created just to handle the real hardcore cases where we know people are infected and need to be taken into custody or moved. So we're doing really well there and the officers are really trying, doing their part. Um, as far as recruitment goes, we have not stopped recruiting. Uh, we have a shortage and we can't afford to have that shortage going. Some police departments in the mainland did stop their recruiting and their training for a while, but have resumed it because you just need, you need to keep filling. It's a constant battle. And if you don't keep up with it, you just lose more and more ground. So uh, we have a recruit class graduating Friday and another one starting. We've always got two recruit classes in session right now, just to try and maintain. There's also the scary fact, end of the year, retirements come up. 
you know, we're really fearful because of current uh, environment with law enforcement and the, the communities that a lot of police, more police officers than normal might retire. And that, that would set us further back in a hole. So uh, we're trying to recruit as aggressively as we can. How, how big is the shortage right now? We're just under 300 officers short. Uh, the last report put us at just under 300 short. You know, I, don't go I want to go back as sort of our time is wrapping up here, but go back to something you mentioned a little earlier on in the broadcast when you said you've seen, uh, obviously, in these last few weeks, more and more large gatherings uh, as, as we kind of move through this tier system and people maybe getting a little COVID fatigue, you're seeing sudden, sort of this uptick in, in gatherings. You know, I, I know for myself, I drove through Waikiki on, on Sunday and you know, there's a beach volleyball tournament in Waikiki. There were tents set up all along the water. Uh, how, you know, what is your message, I guess, to, to the residents out there? And, and how are you folks uh, sort of stepping up to help to control some of that? Because, you know, the last thing any of us want to see is, is another lockdown, obviously. But with as people kind of get into this COVID fatigue, uh, what role do you think HPD plays in that? Well, again, we're, we're the police. We're, we're the enforcers. So... We're trying the best we could with the law and even informing people through warnings or even education sometimes just to keep people to uh, adhere to the rules to stop the spread and get out of this thing as a whole. I, I want to get out of it earlier. I want to go to large gatherings. I want to go to parties or uh, go to uh, sporting events. Uh, you know, our, our high school athletics has suffered because of this. Our youth sports teams have suffered because of this. I want to get back to that. And, um, you know, the, the faster we do it, the faster people learn, uh, the lower those numbers come uh, down, the better. Uh, I, I don't want people to get a false sense that, you know, we're at, we've been averaging about 50 cases a day. Um, yeah, that's a good number. And it doesn't bother me and none of my friends. But you see the advertisements for people who have co had COVID and tell you how bad it is. Don't go through it. Well, that's what we want to avoid. So, I mean, we're trying to educate and do the best we can. But. You know, we're, we're outnumbered sometimes and can't be everywhere. Okay, well, thank you so much, HPD Deputy Chief John McCarthy. Thank you for being on this uh, this morning. We really appreciate all that you and the department is doing to help keep our community safe. No, thank you and thank the people for, you know, really helping us out. Aloha. Well, interesting, 60,000 violations. Uh, obviously, he said that doesn't necessarily mean 60,000 uh, individuals since the start of the pandemic, but you know, people could, like he said, have multiple violations. You're at a party and you're not wearing a mask and you're not socially distancing, but those are criminal offenses. So to think about the weight that those carry, um, it really does give you pause to think about you know, the backlog on the court system and also all those people who could at some point have a criminal record because of this. Yeah, and also just hearing um, from their end of their own uh, issues that they're having to run in with the HPD and trying to make sure that they understand the order, that the mm -hmm. way that they write these citations are also accurate. And so they are they are also saying that they experienced uh, some issues in the beginning of this whole thing, just trying to figure out what those rulings were because they were changing so frequently. Uh, he said, obviously, they're in a much better place now with understanding things more. Uh, but he is also saying that they look to be doing more when it comes to quarantine enforcement. Uh, he didn't really say specifically what they're going to do, but they're looking to do something to be a little bit more proactive as those numbers uh, continue to uh, increase with people who are, we you know, we're seeing that are staying in this 14-day quarantine, things that they can do to help to manage that and make sure that they are enforcing those that are supposed to be on this quarantine period. Uh, again, I want to just put up this number for those people who may want to 
report or if they see any violations, uh, this is the number and email address. Right. And he said that at this point, their approach for quarantine violators is more reactive because he said at last check, there were 20,000 people who are supposed to be in that quarantine. That's just an impossibility for a department that is facing a staffing shortage of roughly 300 officers as is. Um, and they have to, of course, go on all the other calls, criminal calls, uh, domestic calls that they have to answer. So it just seems like quite a bit of work placed on this agency as they also try to keep COVID out of their ranks and they do work in very close proximity proximity to one another. Yeah, and you know, someone else that we're going to be talking to who works directly with HPD in this management is actually going to be appearing uh, on our program on Friday to talk a little bit more about how the state is enforcing this 14-day quarantine as well as the pre-travel testing. Uh, we're going to be hearing from someone special on Friday. That's right. We're going to be hearing from Major General Ken Hara. He, of course, is the head of HIEMA, and they have been tasked with a lot of the COVID response. So we, it'll be a first for that as well. We haven't had him on before. We're very much looking forward to hearing his perspective. He really has a good bird's eye view on how the response is going uh, and what, what we can anticipate going forward. That's right. So we're looking forward to that conversation. Again, we thank you all for uh, tuning in and for inserting your comments. Uh, again, we want to thank the Office of Election, for sponsoring this conversation. Again, if you want to check if your ballot has been received, you can head over to elections.hawaii.gov to check on the status of your ballot and to get more information about how you can still make sure that your voice is heard during this upcoming election on Tuesday. And uh, to get more information, we encourage you to head over to the website. But until uh, Friday, we wish you all a safe rest of the day and we'll see you right back here at 1030 for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha. For this year's general election, registered voters need to watch for their ballots arriving by mail in mid-October. Following the instructions, seal your ballot in the envelope provided and be sure to sign the back. Envelopes without your signature will not be accepted. Look for your free elections guide in the newspaper or at locations statewide. There are no polling places, so be sure to mail your ballot by October 27. Hawaii votes by mail.